Thank you, Brother Terry, and thank our praise team, and thank all of you for taking part in our worship this morning. If you brought your Bibles, there are several passages of Scripture I'm going to be referring to. First of all, I'd like for us to look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Hebrews chapter 12, a familiar passage, no doubt. This morning I want to share a sermon that I've entitled, Well, Keys to Revival. We need a revival in our land. We really do need a revival in our church, need a revival in our land. That's obvious. And so what are the keys to revival? I've listed two keys to revival. One is God's discipline, and the other one is our response. God's discipline, and then how we respond to God's discipline. God's chastisement in our lives, personally, in the lives of our church, and then in the life of our nation. How does our nation respond to God's discipline? Hebrews chapter 12, and I think I'll read the Scripture passages, then we'll come back to these perhaps from time to time, but I'd like to read Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 11, speaking of the discipline of God or the chastisement of God. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? What father does not discipline their son? Verse 8. But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. And so if everyone that belongs to the father receives discipline and you're without it, then you're not a true child of the Father. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us, as seemed best to them, but for our profit. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then in the book of Acts, Acts 3, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, therefore, and be converted. And now familiar passage back in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. The Bible says in verse 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, Now he just finished building the temple for God. 
And so, this is what God said. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among the people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And then one more back in the New Testament, the last book, Revelation chapter 2. God's speaking to a church by the name of Ephesus. Literally, he's speaking, it could be Mountain View Baptist Church, as far as that's concerned. To the church, verse, two, uh, verse 1, chapter 2 of Book of Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, or lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and they're not, and they have found, you found them to be liars. And you've preserved and you've patience and you've labored for my name's sake and, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, underline that, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent. Remember, repent, underline that. Repent and do the first works, underline that. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had now to worship you and now to open your word. Speak to our hearts, I pray. Allow your Holy Spirit to guide me, to use me, and to speak through me the words that you would have your people to hear. May we be attentive to your word. May we have our mind already made up that we would respond in a positive way to what you would have us to do. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. During the period of the Civil War, both houses of Congress and the President Abraham Lincoln, they sensed the desperate need for the nation to humble itself. To humble itself before an almighty God and for the nation to confess the sins and to repent of them. I'm going to read an excerpt that came from a proclamation issued from President Lincoln in 1861. And it's a proclamation entitled, The National Fast Day. Listen to this. Whereas, as a joint committee of both houses of Congress has waited on the President of the United States and requested him to recommend a day of public humiliation and fasting to be observed by the people of the United States with religious solemnities, and the offering of fervent supplications to Almighty God. It is fit and becoming in all people at all times to acknowledge and revere the supreme government of God, 
to bow in humble submission to his chastisements, to confess and deplore their sins and transgressions, in full conviction that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and to pray with all fervency and contrition for the pardon of their past offenses. Whereas when our own beloved country once blessed by by the blessing of God, united, prosperous, and happy, is now afflicted with faction and civil war. It is peculiarly fit for us to recognize the hand of God in this terrible visitation and in sorrowful remembrance of our own faults and our crimes as a nation and as individuals and to humble ourselves before him and to pray for his mercy. Then, quote, Therefore I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, do appoint the last Thursday in September next as a day of humiliation, prayer, and fasting for all the people of this nation. Now, as I read that, I asked myself this question. Why was that proclamation? You see, this is an example from our history where a leader, and where our national leaders, but where a leader called, the president called for his nation to repent. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the leadership at that time sensed the Civil War they faced was the result of God's discipline on a nation's sins. They sensed that. And though the division of the nation was great, the war came to an end. And the nation was reunited and the land was healed. And the people then humbled themselves and prayed and sought the face of God and turned from their wicked way, and the Lord heard their prayer, forgave their sins, and healed our land. So how do we experience revival? What are the keys? First of all, you have in your outline the discipline of God. The discipline of God. Now the Bible is filled with God's disciplines, one right after another. Filled with his disciplines, his judgments. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from God, your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. You wonder how many prayers God's hearing from America today that are being lifted up. Revelation 2, 5, If you do not repent, I'll come to you and I'll remove your lampstand, i.e. church. From its place. Amos 8, verse 11 through 12. I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord. But they won't find it. There's coming a day where that'll take place. The disciplines of God. Now, when you consider the disciplines of God, He disciplines us, our nation, and individuals, but He disciplines 
in uh, three primary areas. First of all, in your notes, he disciplines by natural disasters. Just to name a few. Earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, forest fires, drought, hail, famine, insects. Have we experienced any of those things? Could God be speaking to us through national, uh, natural disasters? He disciplines his people or a nation through natural disasters. He disciplines us, the B part of your outline, through plagues, through diseases, by plagues and fever and leprosy and wasting diseases. Could you think that perhaps God is speaking to America today through discipline, through diseases? And then he disciplines us through human conflict or trouble, such as war, an attack, or a defeat, or taken into captivity, or being ruled by someone with hate, or a victim of crime, Victims of immorality, victims of bloodshed, victims of increase, the increase of wickedness, victims of broken human relationships, economic collapse. Do you think perhaps in the past, recent past, that he's disciplined America by some of these, some of these so-called human conflict and trouble? Sure he has. Listen, if you will, to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and I'm going to read uh, verse 8. Um, John chapter 18, see if I have it here. John 18, I don't think I gave that to you, Ty. I have a, script, a lot of scripture to mark. John, John 16, I'm sorry, John 16, verse 8. Listen to this. He says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, and he came, he's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the point is, God can discipline us any way that he wants to. However, his desire is that we would respond to the conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, individually and as a nation. Do you think this nation's not convicted of its moral sins? Sure it is. But it just thumbs its, it just thumbs its his, his hand into, or we just thumb our hand into the face of God. The point is, when we don't judge ourselves and repent, God judges us through discipline. And we need to remember that. Just mark it down. He disciplines, and this disciplines will, this, these dis disciplines will increase until, we, until he gets our attention. They'll increase. God, God has a limit on his patience. And so first, they're disciplines. God's final disciplines on a nation. Now, if we as a nation and individuals continue to refuse to respond... God has the power to bring final disciplines. 
He has the power to bring final disciplines upon a nation. He did that with Israel. He did that in Jer- with Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, and he prophesied that destruction simply because they had rejected God. They rejected him. Luke chapter 19, jot this verse down, verse 41. Luke 19, 41, listen to what Jesus said. Now he drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it. He said, if you had known even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so he brings, he brings total destruction to Jerusalem in A.D. 70 simply because they had rejected him. However, not only final, not only final uh, uh, disciplines on a nation, but he brings final disciplines on individuals. Let me give you an example. Because of greed, Ananias and Sapphira lied about their giving. And this planned line, this planned lie, could affect the church. So what happened? God dealt with them. And they died, they died a swift and final judgment. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. He brought final judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira. He brought final judgment upon a nation, the nation Israel, A.D. 70, or Jerusalem. He brought final judgment upon individuals, Ananias and Sapphira. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34, Paul rebuked the church, the Corinthian church, for not taking the Lord's Supper seriously. People were participating in it uh, in an unworthy manner. They were sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, this is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. A number of you have died. And some died because they refused to judge themselves properly. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 34. So God brings, he brings total discipline, total destruction upon nations and upon individuals who will not repent. And so you have God's disciplines. You have the category of divine disciplines, the natural disasters, disease, you know, human conflict and trouble, and then his final disciplines on nations and on individuals. Therefore, what's the wisest thing to do when you discover as a nation, when you discover as a church, or when you discover as individuals that you're being disciplined by God? What's the most wise thing to do? Repent. Repent. So you have the discipline of God, and then you have repent, a word sermon. You see, repent was a one-word sermon from, from every Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea. Repent, that was their message. Repent, that was the message. Repent from all the Old Testament prophets. 
But in the Old Testament, repentance was the first response that Jesus called in preaching of the gospel. Mark 1, verse 15, repent ye and believe in the gospel. That was his message. Peter's first words out of his mouth at his first recorded sermon, Acts 2, verse 38, was repent. Paul spoke and said that God commanded men everywhere to what? To repent in Acts 17, verse 30. And so the point is, apart from repentance, there can be no reconciliation with God for nations or individuals. And so unless you repent, you cannot be reconciled with God. As a nation, we've got to repent. We're going to continue to experience God's discipline. As individuals, we have to repent, or we're going to continue to, re- to experience this discipline. Now, repentance is a subsequent to belief. It's subsequent to belief. It's a part of belief. Someone said that it's two sides of the same coin. Repentance is belief in action. You see, our choices flow from our convictions. We believe, and what we believe We respond in our actions. Repentance means a changed mind about Jesus. That's what repentance means. It means to turn from your sin and you turn to a Savior. Now, why do you do that? Because you've changed your mind about the Savior. You will never repent unless you change your mind about Jesus. You'll never put your faith in Christ till you change your mind about Christ. It's a, you, you got faith on one side of the coin, you got repentance on the other side. It takes both. People talk about belief. You'll only believe when you change your mind about Jesus and you repent and you turn to Him. Repentance means a changed mind about Jesus. Repentance is not merely changing your actions. Now, you need to understand this. It's not just changing your actions. It's changing your actions because you've changed your attitude. You've changed your mind about Jesus, His authority over you and over the entire world. That's why you repent. Repentance means recognizing Jesus as Lord, Kuros, one who has all power and authority and control. So the point is, you have no more to say about the matter. He's Lord. He's Lord. And when you repent, you recognize He is the absolute, rightful ruler of the universe. You know, the old saying, God said it and I believe it and that settles it. That's wrong, my friend. God said it, whether you believe it or not, it's already been settled. What you need to do is see God as who He is, Lord, and you turn to Him and you repent. Because you've realized who the Lord Jesus is. When you repent, you'll recognize He is the absolute ruler, the rightful ruler of the universe. And those who live under their own authority, those of you who live under your own power, make your own decisions, you have committed as a believer high treason against the controller of the universe. You have no right to do that. You've been bought with a price. You go where He wants you to go, and that's the church. You do what He wants you to do, that's to serve Him and other people. 
And you say what he wants you to say, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody that you meet. And you have no say-so. It's settled if you're a true believer of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. If you follow 99% of the teachings of Jesus and you hold back 1%, you've not repented, which means that you have no ideal in your mind about the attitude of who Jesus is. Have you repented? Confessed your sins? God, I'm a sinner. I see sin as you see it, and I'm, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning to you because of who you are. I've got a whole different mind frame about Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. He's Lord. There are those today who proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord, one who has all power and control in their lives, but yet there's no evidence that Jesus Christ has power and control and authority as much as they say he has in their lives. Meaning, they either have a false profession or they've dethroned him off the throne of their lives, one or the other. Now, when that happens, you can expect discipline. And the answer to discipline is repentance. You see, as a believer today, give this thought. Just jotted some things down. Am I, close, am I as close to the Lord as I once was? Am I serving and edifying the church with my spiritual gifts? Have I grown in my spiritual life? Am I practicing my Christian disciplines and devotion time and Bible study time and prayer time? Am I, am I failing to teach my children about the importance of the Word of God and the study of His Word? Do I have compassion for the lost? Am I crying out to God to send more labors into the harvest field? Jesus said in Revelation 2, 5, Remember therefore, remember therefore where you've fallen and repent. Go back to, you had all those things. Remember where you've fallen and repent. Turn. Remember. Repent's not changing your actions. It's changing your actions because you've changed your mind, your attitude about Jesus Christ. This morning, God wants you to repent and return to the way that you saw yourself in your sin when you first turned to Him. Revelation chapter 2. Listen to this, verse 6. Revelation 2, verse 6. Uh, verse 16, I'm sorry. Repent, or else I will come... This is serious. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What's the meaning of that? Here's the meaning. Jesus Christ himself is moving today in resistance against every person who will not humble themselves and repent of his or her sins. That's what that means. Therefore, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 says this, I know your works, your love. Uh, 
chapter 3, sorry, one chapter over. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I don't know what your life's been like. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what bad decision you've made. I don't know what past you've chosen. I don't know what you're ashamed of in your life. But I do know this, that God can wipe all that guilt away. He can wipe all that shame away. He can wipe away all the sadness if you would only repent. He says in Isaiah 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. All you have to do is come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. So repentance, I like this definition. Repentance is the moment that everything changes. I don't know what you've got on, going on in your life, but when you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ, because your attitude's changed about him, you know who he really is, and you ask him to come into your life and save you, everything else changes. God disciplines, man repents, and I'm going to close with this real quick. There's fruit of repentance. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to this. Luke 3, verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. If you repent, you're going to have fruits. Yes. You're going to have fruits. People are going to know you repented. Now, how are they going to know that? How are you going to know that? I'm going to list real quick five things you need to jot down and let you know if you've repented or not. Number one, they're listed there. Grief over sin. If you've truly repented, you're going to have grief over sin. There's going to be an internal hurting anguish of the soul, and you're going to, you're going to feel grieved about the choice that you've made against God's will for your life. You can't keep from it. It's going to make you cry. It's going to make you weep. You're going to have grief over sin. Second thing that will show you that you've repented is that it makes you sick. In other words, it's repulsive. It's repulsive. It will make you want to throw up when you sin against God. If you truly repent. Grief, repulsive. Then the third thing, restitution. When you repent, you'll always have an immediate desire to get to the people whom you sin against and whom your sin has wounded. And you want to fix all that fallout. You want to go to them. Just like Zacchaeus did when he came down out of the tree. And, you know, and he made everything right with the money that he'd taken from all of those that he'd taken money from. And then D, there'll be revival toward God. Oh, you'll love to be in God's house. You'll love to read God's word. You'll love to pray. You'll love to be with God's people. You'll love that. If you've truly repented and seen God for who he really is and Jesus for who he really is. And then the last, you're going to move forward. If you repented 
a mark of repentance is moving forward and it's not looking back. You don't look back. Paul said, listen, I'm pressing for the goal that's the prize of the high call in Christ Jesus. It's e- listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's easy to spot people who haven't repented. You know how you can do that? They're always living in the past. Always. If you repented and you've trusted Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you're leaving that behind you. He's forgiven you. He's tossed your sins in, a, in the bottom of a, in the sea that has no bottom. And you're moving forward with your life if you've accepted his forgiveness for your life. We need revival in our land today. We're seeing our nation just collapse before our eyes. And there's a God of discipline. Then there's our repentance. And there's fruits of repentance. So this morning we have a choice to make. As a Christian citizen, as a believer in Christ who lives in this nation, we have a choice to make. First, to repent of personal sins. Second, to, re- to repent of any sins of this church. I came over here, I was over here last night late. Lights were out in here, knelt down right there and repented for the sins of this church that I felt like we'd sinned against God. Repented for sins in my own personal life. Repented, cried out to God for the sins of this nation.